Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on our panel, we have Alan Weima. Hello, hello. Sasha Wolf. Hello. Adi Iyengar. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's, let me see if I can do this, Arkadiusz Plichka. <laughs> that I get was, anywhere close, I'm sorry. That was almost right. So the surname can be quite difficult, but the first name went, went perfect. So my name is Arkadiusz Plichka. And I, yeah, it says sounds better when you say it. You want to tell people who you are, why you're famous? Oh, yeah, sure. So I'm um, currently I work as a tech lead at the BlockFi, uh, where we finance service for a crypto world. And I live in Poland, in Gdańsk. And in my free time, I like to do a cave exploration and uh, kite surfing. Nice. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Now, we ran across an article where you talked about tracking Bitcoin with gen servers and live view, which sounds, I think we might be able to cram another buzzword in there. But uh, I was just, <laughs> I was wondering what prompted this. I mean, knowing that you work for a crypto company, I mean, that might be part of it. But yeah, do you want to give us some background here? Yeah, sure. So do you want uh, like a short version or a long version? Give us a short version. We'll ask questions. Okay. So uh, so I've made it just uh, based on the curiosity. So uh, I was wondering how the Bitcoin price fluctuates over the world. So when the, you know, like a pump starts, in, is it like a base on geolocation or is it like at the same time the Bitcoin price rises on every market? So I just wanted to like test that. So I could like just uh, open a bunch of tabs and uh, check the markets there. But I thought it would be a good thing to to actually learn something new about Elixir and try to automate that. So I could like watch it in the real time on my dashboard. Cool. So what what were you hoping to learn then? Because it seems like most Elixir developers done some stuff with gen servers phoenix developers you know live view is not a grand mystery so i mean uh, you don't use some of those at your work i don't know i'm just curious oh yeah so so i just wanted to learn more about the live view because i didn't use it at work okay. so i just wanted to broaden my knowledge on that and yeah that's that's basically it cool so uh what did you learn now i'm curious yeah, so uh, most of the time when I just learn the new thing is uh, I just go through through the docs or maybe I buy a book and uh, try to spend more time on it. And almost uh, and it's always uh, really nice to like have uh, some kind of project that you work on while you're reading uh, documentation. So this was just uh, like part of it. And the things that I've learned is the actually how to think about the live view because it's uh, it's not the same as uh, as a typical response request uh, web application you have to you know keep the state you have to 
and know what's happening with the uh, live view processes when they are uh, when the error occurs and how to handle that so on very cool so i see that in your um live view you use um pops up to subscribe to like a events on a ticker i guess channel for lack of a better word pops up and your gen server that's a ticker every in a periodic way gets fetches a new prices and broadcasts to that pops up right mm-hmm. D- did you uh, think about like maybe separating the process that fetches the new price and the process that publishes the trigger to update the live view no not really i actually do not remember the exact implementation of of the solution i've uh, posted on the blog post because it was quite some time ago ah, uh, but i but how i think it it worked is that we have like the one gen server who periodically uh, checks the price and then pushes those data through the pubs up to to the live view and yeah wh- why do you think that the separating those two uh, functionalities will be beneficial yeah i think the publishing of updates to live view if you have like multiple ways you're updating your price right like uh having a separate state outside of what that gen server pulls so like uh, a database or a process or an agent right that keeps track of the current prices right you can separate the frequency at which you're pulling the prices and broadcasting right and that allows you to do other things with the prices as well i mean you could and if you use like database it could be something as simple as triggers that might make like the broadcast side of it a lot simpler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes makes sense. I'm just curious, but yeah, this is really cool. D- do you use PubSub at BlockFi with LiveView? Not in the part that I'm working on. So uh, yeah, this is like pretty big solution, and the team working on it is uh, is uh, is also huge. So there are different departments, and I cannot say for all of them if we're using PubSub there. But uh, at least in the part that I'm working on, we we do not. Gotcha. Yeah, so this, this kind of reminds me of a solution that I built for clients, but it's kind of also funny. We're also doing a ticking system. And also, um, I mean, specifically, I did something similar with LiveView because uh, they always want to see like what's their latest account, how, how much money is in their account, right? Because if you have different currencies, different, I think they call them pairs, right? You need to figure out can you trade or not. And also that stuff changes all the time. This was a uh, few years ago, I think, at least a year ago. And what you actually have is very similar to what I had. What I had was uh, when you connected with LiveView, you know, I have that initial page, right? That initial load before the WebSocket. So I had this gen server that had all the state of all the accounts and I would just ask it for all the data. And then if you're connected to the WebSocket, then I would subscribe and I was using Phoenix PubSub to just blast the latest account. And then I was following Bruce Tate's advice to kind of separate my my core, my functions from the data. And so it was very easy to test. It was, it was fantastic and uh, worked out great. Yeah, so the only thing I think that really needs some help is that whenever it ticked, I wish, you know, I would have done something so I can flash the numbers because that stuff kept ticking all the time because I had so many different pairs. But yeah, like what you have over here is like extremely similar to what I had uh, when I architected their design. The only thing that is quite important about that one too is, yeah, we had it over WebSocket and I think you're you're doing a poll method, which is fine. And then what what I did was uh, I also set up the way the restart the, the the what do you call it the start the starting application the supervisor structure because we had like WebSocket connection and then like there was a cache and then there was uh, an endpoint or something I forgot what it was I think it was that yeah and every time that you disconnect and reconnect to the WebSocket you get a whole fresh copy of the account data so I had it so like if the cache ever 
ever crashed, I would just also kill the WebSocket so I'd have everything refreshed. It was, uh, it was, I felt really smart about myself, but nobody understood Elixir at that company. So nobody uh, <laughs> nobody enjoyed my awesome architecture. Black magic. And did, did you have any problems with testing gen servers that uh, run periodically? So gen server, yeah, I never really tested gen servers. I, I kind of didn't finish up the rest of that book from Bruce Tate, which I you know regret. What I did, what I do now for most of my testing is I try to keep all of that like mutation logic uh, separate, and I just kind of import it in, and I'll just like say like okay, if I pass in this data with this one, then I'm expecting this output, and then that would be my state. So yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I would never do it like that. I try to separate all that out and just kind of say this state comes in along with this one, this input. And this, or sorry, this message, the state, and then I should get this state coming out, and I would just test it like that. So no, I don't think I did. Generally, to test a gen servers, um, especially if they're like doing something just more than keep track of states, which they tend to do these days, I use uh, Erlang Trace to kind of like hook into like an event, and that like allows you like you know basically handle event in the tests instead of gen server. And that kind of, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's something I learned just like a couple months ago. And I was like pretty blown away, like how powerful <laughs> trace can be for testing because you, the process of state updates outside of your test context, right? So to be very agnostic of that trace kind of brings that in the control of the test process itself. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have like tried using that. Do you have, I used to trace or anything. Yeah. Hmm? Do you have like an article or anything like that on Adi? Because I, I haven't used it and that sounds interesting. And maybe also interesting for our listeners. Yeah, I did follow an article actually. It was, uh, I'll put it on the show notes. All right. Yeah, this is the, the Trace Erlang built in application, right? Or, yeah, yes. that, that's fantastic. I used it a couple of times in production too. Sadly, not very often. Maybe that's because I'm such a good Elixir developer. That's why I don't need to use it so much. But uh, yeah, I used it a couple of times. It's been nice. Yeah, yeah be- if you write flawless code like Alan, you don't need to trace your code. <laughs> I was gonna say, beware! Once you start usually, using it, it's so powerful. You would leverage it for every every little thing. I usually just put IO puts and IO inspects. That's that's much better sometimes. I, I, it's much I, more I, clear. I, I'm at least. guilty of that. I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> I'm, I'm the eternal IO puts and IO inspect debugger. Uh, you're not the only one. And often, at least initially, that's the fastest way to figure out what's going on. It's only if the if the problem gets complicated, that you need something that will go deeper. Okay, so, so I'm wondering, Akadish, uh, so you, you built this and did you just run it locally on your machine? And is it running somewhere in the cloud and you're not regularly checking up on it to do some Bitcoin trading? Or, <laughs> or was it more of a learning experience? So did you get anything out of that? And did it impact maybe also something you did after that? No, so my initial idea was to actually get some meaningful data out of it and uh, become a millionaire, but this didn't happen. So... Uh, so my assumption that uh, I can enter that is uh, was 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 false. Um, but the reason why I written blog post is the, because uh, we were doing local meetup with uh, with a friend here in Dansk. But because of a COVID situation, we just stopped that. And I just uh, wanted to like share knowledge in regards of that. Uh, so that's why I started posting a blog post. So this is some kind of. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to like uh, post my knowledge so anyone can benefit from that. I know that there are a lot of people trying to learn Elixir, so maybe you know this kind of uh, posts where you where you explain how to build the little projects can be beneficial for them. Very cool. 
Now, now that it's working, how would you, what would be your ideal way to test this? Like, there's like obviously the live view test, right? But that's not going to test like the chart. I saw that you're having like complex HTML charts and all that stuff, right? How would you, what level of testing would make you feel confident of this feature working? Yeah. So that's a, that's a kind of a good question. So I, I tried to also explain how to test that. And I think that, that the tests I posted there are not the best ones because I think they, they are, they make me confident that the solution works, but they are like the integration tests. So probably someone who, who wants to write those tests in production, it's probably not the best idea to run them periodically on your uh, CI environment, but this just gave me confidence during writing the code. So I just wrote some integration tests and whenever I changed the code, I got immediate results if it works or not. But in the ideal situation, we just like have to split the responsibilities a little bit more than I showed in the, in the article. And basically your idea to have like really thin gen servers and put all the logic in the different modules is a, is a way to go. Awesome. You said you are using live views at BlockFi. How do you, how do you currently, if you are, you said you did also, you also mentioned it's not in your team. So only if you're aware, like I'm curious how you do it right now. Like, do you have, I know when I, so I was at BlockFi last year and I know at that time they would use like Floki to test like the, it's like an HTML content kind of a thing. I don't know if you guys have used it, but is there, I know there was like, Every place that I've been that uses LiveView, the goal is to get to browser automated automated tests, right? Like, is that something you feel is maybe like is the best way to test this? Yeah, I actually don't don't have uh, any strong opinion on that. So yeah, that is actually like an interesting question. I mean, you're also doing some logic with hooks and stuff like on this on the client side, right? Like, how how would you go about testing this? I mean, LiveView comes with a bunch of testing capabilities. I sincerely don't know if there's like any help of testing client side hooks. So, what what is the testing story there? I always use Cypress or uh, browser automation. That's what makes me feel more confident. The problem comes what what was mentioned earlier that in once you do that test, you have to mimic, you have to make sure that everything is like set up in like a mock way, right? Like the Bitcoin service is like mocked properly and um, your database triggers, if you have, if you're using that, is like set up in an expected way. So there's a lot of setup that goes with that level of testing, but it does test to some extent the end-to-end, at least within your application. But I'm always curious how people approach that because Alan, you've all, you said you also work with LiveView, right? I'm curious like how you go around this deficiency of being able to test. Test the, the hooks or because like I did a lot of the testing and I just, yeah, I, I try not to use hooks, but then I try to make my hooks so small. Like my whole entire thing about testing, right, is like try to test things that you think really need to be tested. If you make your hooks pretty small and quite clear, I don't think it's worth it to kind of bend over backwards to try to make it really testable. If, if that makes sense to you, because like there, you know, I think it was uh, Ken. Was it Ken? It was guys at Facebook for a long time. I think it's Ken something. He's a big guy who's writing stuff. And anyways, this guy basically said, you know, I get paid for work writing working code. So yes, I write tests, but I don't write like I don't do TDD in terms of like I don't write a piece of code without a test. I test stuff that I think oh. needs to be tested. So that's kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I'm a TDD. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> I mean, TDD is good, right? But at a certain point, it's like, do I really need to like test all these like random cases? What's the point? Do I really need to test, you know, Hello World? Like that it outputs exactly Hello World? Like some things I think are negotiable and it kind of just depends on your team culture too, right? But for me, like, I think if you make your hooks small, you don't probably need to test them. And if you do, then that's a big headache, right? Like you said, you have to spin up something and, and get a WebKit thing going for your CI. And is it worth it? How well, I mean, if you have a really heavy hook and you think it, it's brittle, then I think you should test it. Yeah, that's a good idea. And you should follow probably like what you said, some kind of like a WebKit thing running. But if it's really small, may not be worth it, in my opinion. It may be more of a headache. Are you thinking of Kent Beck? Yeah, Kent Beck, I believe he said that he basically doesn't write a test for everything. He's just like, uh, you know, I, I get paid for working code, right? Not getting paid for writing tests. And I think that makes a certain sense. You could get stuck in test hell, basically, right? You could test anything. Blasphemy. I'm trying my best not to cringe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's funny because there are certain aspects of the stuff that I write that, yeah, I, I'm just like, well, it's all this work to test this little bit of code that is essentially call to the framework so yeah that kind of stuff i agree it's like mm, why bother testing but if it's yeah if it's a major yeah like alan said you know depending on the risk you know i'm gonna go i'm not so confident about this code and that's essentially why i'm testing in the first place is so that i can confidently go and move and say okay you know i trust this or i don't trust it or i feel good about this and so yeah if it's a oh well I have a controller and it makes a quick model call. It's like, okay, well, I know Ecto works and I know Phoenix works. So I'm not as concerned about this bit as I am about this other bit. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. For me, it's also not only confidence in like the code I've written, but also confidence around the code I change. Mm-hmm. So like when I actually have a bunch of code, maybe not even written by myself, and that has extensive test coverage, I feel a lot more safe changing this code without breaking any 
assumptions I literally didn't know about compared to um, some code which is foreign to me. And even if it's well written, where I don't have this and don't have a security net, and that's like also something uh, that's a practice I, I tell do a lot when I work on an older legacy code base, which doesn't maybe have as many tests. When I actually need to change this piece of code, I first write tests for this piece of code, like in a way, okay, which I assume how it should work. And only after that, I go and change it just to have this safety net. Because I don't trust myself. I, I make mistakes all the time. And the, these tests are basically for, for, for stupid me to not uh, fuck up production. <laughs> I feel the same way. I think it's also the confidence yeah. in the people who might be changing the code, right? Like your composition of team could have a lot of junior developers or Again, not saying junior developers are not, you know, I mean, they're junior for a reason, right? So, like, your confidence in them is a little less. And, like, it, again, provides that extra safety net because as a code grows, you can't expect people to catch everything in the PR reviews. And it's happened to me so many times. Actually, as a matter of fact, when I was at BlockFi and when I was a community, it happened multiple times that something wasn't tested. And I reviewed something <laughs> along with other people and we just, like, some a bug just went in. And I wouldn't have made that error, but... I cannot expect that off a junior developer. Well, for me, the the big thing with testing is basically that if I look at a piece of code, I can figure out what it calls, but I never know what's calling it. And so the issue becomes, okay, well, it's making this assumption. I'm changing this code and thereby changing the assumptions. And yeah, that works for 90% of the cases. But <laughs> that one case might be the thing that people are actually paying for. <laughs> so that's the other piece of it, right, is that I can then assume that the assumptions that I should be making with the code are tested and I can go and I can change it without worrying about not keeping track of that stuff. Because once the app does more than like two things, I can't keep it all in my head. And I think of myself as a senior developer. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of this joke of like this quality engineer, quality te like a tester comes into a bar and orders one beer, orders 10 beer, orders minus one beer, orders zero beers, orders max in beers, everything works. It says like, yeah, fine. First customer comes into a bar, asks where the toilet is, the bar bursts into flames. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I think that captures nicely that like, e even if you, if you, look at a bunch of code, like make some certain assumptions around, okay, uh, this is how I should test it. This is how it will be used. <laughs> There's always going to come this one weird use case, which breaks that assumption and as such breaks your code. But yeah, like, I think one thing of all whole testing the discussion is like when people say they don't test as much, I mean, that I feel like that ignores often that you still might test, but then you test manually. Right, then you open the page in your browser and click through it. That's also a way of testing. It's just not a very repeatable way of testing. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that is also part of like, which might be good for some cases, but it's a trade-off you're making. And I, I do feel like that trade-off should at least be made consciously instead of subconsciously. Yeah, I will say, though, that whatever you're working on, you ought to be testing manually. I can't tell you, and it, it, it drives me nuts, but there are two teams that work on the project I'm on, and they will write the tests, but they won't actually try it in the browser. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I'm working on something, you know, after I've merged, and I'll go load the page up so that I can see what it's doing and see what I need to change. 
and it's busted. And it's like, you know, I'll go to them and they'll be like, well, the test pass. I'm like, well, great. But what's the user going to do with that? This kind of reminds me of, of a, I, don't, I think I might have told you guys a story uh, where my manager from a, another company told me that he was working at HSBC and they sent this app over to India to check. And uh, he, he sent the app over a couple of days later to check with them and said, uh, how's it going? Did you, did you run the app? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we ran it. Okay, great. Let's put it into production. Total disaster. They came back to the Indian team and said, what happened? When did you guys run the app? Yeah, yeah, we ran the app. No problem. But there wasn't any bugs? Oh, lots of bugs. But you said you ran it, right? Yeah, yeah, we ran it. But you didn't ask us if we if there's any bugs or not. We just asked you if we ran it. <laughs> oh, the, the API for that team. Needs improvement. <laughs> Funny stuff. So, yeah, I agree. You should definitely check it. Some exploratory testing is good. And yeah. be clear about what you find. Yeah, but typically it's just the stuff that I know I've changed, right? That I'm I'm going to be doing that on. You don't have to go test the whole thing manually. But that's why I kind of like Elixir, right? It's like, um, yeah, that going back to that joke, right? I mean... Now you could just add guards and whatever else you really worry about it, and you can catch most of the stuff. And if you don't catch it, like in terms of like trying to stop bad input from being saved or whatever, now you can just let it crash and just forget about it. You know, unless you really, really care about that. But for the most part, you could say, Oh, you send me a negative beer. Does it make sense? Just let it crash. So going back to this app, I'm I'm a little curious then. Like, are you rich on Bitcoin or? <laughs> no, no, uh, actually not. Uh, I have some, but uh, uh, I cannot uh, call myself uh, rich on Bitcoin. Maybe in the future. So like the, the things you learned while building this, is there like anything with you would like to do differently down the road? Anything where you say, okay, this is like an interesting tidbit. I learned a bit about life view, about gen servers, about whatever, right? Like which which impacted the way your way of working or your way of thinking about this problem? Oh uh, Yeah, so uh, I think the biggest benefit for me was actually trying to test that. So I've... Uh, there is the one chapter on the Elixir testing book uh, when they are actually explaining how to test gen servers. Uh, so uh, everyone who has not read this one probably should do it. Uh, so this was really beneficial for me. And the other thing is just to like try to write in English because English is not my native language. And Actually, writing, it's not the, the best thing I do. So uh, this was also kind of exercise for me. And I'm just trying to continue on doing that. Nice. Well, anything else that we ought to talk about here before we uh, go to picks? I am a little curious. You, you did mention uh, users groups in Poland. So has your group gotten together since you wrote this article? Because you said that you were doing this kind of to share with them. And the other question I have is, what does the Elixir community look like out there? Yeah, so uh, we haven't uh, got any meetups since uh, like almost two years. Uh, we're planning to do uh, uh, one this year. Hopefully, we'll manage to do that. And the Elixir community is uh, is quite small here. So there is uh, like uh, no local company that uses Elixir. So all of the developers here uh, works remotely for the companies outside of times. And probably because of that, the community is uh, is pretty small. Uh, but uh, I think there are uh, really good names here. 
and the people here are really helpful and uh, yeah it's really it's really good to to have a conversation not only with the people who who are interested in elixir or who uses elixir at the at the daily basis but there are a lot of people who just came to meetups just to uh, get to know uh, what it is uh, and yeah that's that's really good cool well looking forward to hearing more about meetups and and stuff like that because I think they're critical to people's learning opportunities. And yeah, there's anything we can do to help you out. Let us know. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Let's go ahead and do picks then. Alan. You have some picks for us? I've recently been addicted to this podcast called Stuff You Should Know. It's just the most random things I've ever never wondered about. And then after I listened to it, I'm just blown away. This it's really uh yeah, interesting. They have a recent one about, you know, check liners, where they came from. They got stuff about there's one episode, most random episode of it. What was it? Uh, pet mediums. So mediums for pets. How to contact your passed away pets. Yeah. There's a whole episode. I think it's an hour of talking about this, like the history of where it came from and everything else. It's when I mentioned it, it doesn't sound very interesting, but if you listen to it, you, yeah, it's very out there. So it, it's going to do great uh, episodes. So if you're ever interested in weird, random stuff, like how stuff works, this is really up your guys' alley. So that's, that's my pick. Yeah. I used to listen to that one. That's a, it's a fun show. Uh, Sasha, what are your picks? Alan inspired me because I didn't have a pick until you mentioned that. Uh, this, is, this is YouTube channel and probably a lot of people are familiar with it because it's pretty famous, but uh, it's CGP Grey and he does the weirdest videos. Like one of his recent videos was like the origin of the name. How is it again? Yeah, of, of like one weird name and then he actually digged for like historical books and tried to figure out like what was the first Tiffany the origin of an Tiffany and he digged for historical books and had to figure out like what was the original name origin, first mention of that name and so on and so forth you always look at his videos and are like this can never be interesting for 20 minutes and then like 20 minutes later you're like this was super interesting give me more <laughs> and yeah like I, I've just it's one of these YouTube channels where if I see he uploaded a new video I'm like okay, yes please looking forward to watching that one so that's my pick for one week awesome Adi what are your picks yeah I've got one pick and one self-promotion so the pick is Code Beam San Francisco is coming up in a couple of weeks I'm giving a talk there about just technical writing and writing a book but check it out I can there'll be a link for the tickets along with a 20% discount code that I'll type if you guys are interested yeah but there's some really really awesome speakers they're giving a talk at Code Beam this year so you guys should definitely check it out and second one is uh, I just joined uh, a startup um, a few weeks ago um, we I, as, as a founding engineer and I picked Elixir and Pedalstack. Uh, so we're looking to hire. And so if you guys are interested in Elixir, TDD, <laughs> and if Kelvin is your favorite temperature unit, you should definitely hit me up and, uh, you know, we should, we should, we should, <laughs> <laughs> we should talk. And yeah, we're looking for like mid-level entry mid-level engineers if you if you don't have elixir experience but have ruby on rails experience that's fine too so yeah, links will be in the show notes awesome all right well i'm going to throw out a few picks here um i am working on top end devs that that's kind of what i've been uh spending my time on uh when this goes live you should be able to go there and see the podcast and stuff like that uh listed there we did move everything over to fireside which makes it a little bit easier to 
you know, track certain things and, and add in uh, sponsors and stuff like that. But yeah, that that's kind of what I'm putting together. I am planning on doing kind of a pre-launch around Black Friday and then a full launch in January. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Essentially, it's going to be a course platform. The difference between it and some of the other ones out there is that I really feel like going into the discussion we had a little bit about users groups is that I find that learning happens better in groups with other people. And so I am creating not just a learning platform, but also a collaborate, a collaborative learning platform. So you'll have courses and things like that, like you're used to, but we'll also have things that look like meetups or master classes that you can attend live. And we'll also have elements where you can meet other people that are part of the paid community and where you can actually come in and collaborate on your learning journey as, as part of the deal. So if you're interested in authoring a course, let me know. You can just, I'll, I'll, you can email me. Um, in fact, if you go to, uh, let's just say topendev slash, topendevs.com slash author. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll have a form there so you can fill it out. Probably the easiest way. And then from there, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on putting together a whole bunch of courses. A lot of people ask me questions about how to build their career or how to go freelance or things like that. And so those are the courses that I'm planning on putting together. And uh, I'll have a list of the courses I'm planning to release starting in January of next year um, so that you can have a look and you can, you know, you can sign up anytime between now and Black Friday for a pre-launch discount. Beyond that, I've been listening to a book called The 360 Degree Leader. Um, it's by uh, John Maxwell, I think. And anyway, it's it's really, really good. If you're in a position where you're not the leader, right? You're not the CTO, or maybe you you are like a team lead, but you know, you're not calling all the shots. This is a terrific book because it talks about not just how to be a leader when you're managing up, but also how to be a leader within the team if you're not the team leader, if that makes sense. So it's really written for people that are kind of at the individual contributor level and teaches you how to empower your manager, empower your team members, and contribute overall in really effective ways within the organization that you're in, even if, like I said, you're not the the team team lead, team master, team, you know, in charge. So anyway, um, really loving that. And you really have to check it out. I think this is one of those books that the business world kind of put out there that I think pretty much every developer I know should probably read. So definitely check that out. Arka Dush, what are your picks? Yeah, so there is uh, one YouTube channel that I can re recommend. It's uh, Lookman No Computer. I don't know if you have uh, seen it. It's not strictly uh, about the programming, but it's about building fun stuff and uh, creating music. Uh, so maybe you can you'll find out it's interesting. Cool. One last question. If people want to connect with you online, say LinkedIn, GitHub, Twitter, or something like that, where do they find you? Uh, yeah, you can connect to me via uh, Twitter. I can like give you later my handle, so you can put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. If you put it in the chat, we'll make sure it makes it into the show notes. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming. This was fun. Yes, cool thank project. you for the time. All right, folks. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.